It is time to tune up the band, climb to the top of the mountain, and then eventually be jobbed out by Hunter Hearst Helmsley, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, <laughs> alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey to the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello, chaps. I'm sorry, that one was even hard for me to say. That was that was rough, buddy. That it's, was rough. Hell. It, it's that thing that uh, I have with my friends where I'm like, yes, it's true, but you don't need to say it like that. <laughs> Oh man, this one's gonna be tough. <laughs> How are you doing? I am. Um, I had. I played mini golf and had too much vodka. How are you doing? I've had a McDonald's breakfast, so I've had a good start to the day. Yeah, I, I'm just off the back of a spa day. You are so- the only one who's actually somewhat lucid for this. Yes. So we've all had varying degrees of success coming into this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and undoubtedly, Rin's had the best evening out of all of that. Oh, as ever, we give you this podcast. Thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, Joker Sting should never have been pending but us we are always pending and always will be <laughs> again that one was a bit too that, that one was a bit rough as well to say wasn't it? <laughs> i i think we have a theme for this episode good listeners oh it's gonna go up and then it's going to go sharply down before coming back up ever so slightly hopefully <laughs> so maybe depending depending on how we feel. So we are on part two of our Sting retrospective, but before we get into that, another week, another one of these news segments that gets taken over by quite big news. So let's just visit Dad and get it over with, with this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> wrestling news. <laughs> it's it's releases time again. I feel we should have a special jingle just for WWE releases now. No, because like, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're on what three or four this year. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we are. Because we had March, which was the first, which was the first run, same as last year. Mm. Then we had a couple in kind of May, June. A couple yeah. like I want to say like August time. Mhm. Uh, maybe, maybe even actually been September, and I just didn't realize. And uh, and then uh, obviously the most recent run of uh, of releases. Uh, and obviously, just again, it's just incredibly disheartening to just keep seeing this happen. And once again, uh, oh god, see these people lose their contracts uh, and just get told, "Sorry, kid, budget cuts," and in another record quarter. Yeah. Uh, you come here to listen to us talk about wrestling, and not for me to talk anti-capitalist theory. Although I will say that would probably make a very different show. That was, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> or the same show, considering how many tangents we go on. Uh, no, I was gonna say, mm. like it's entirely, it's entirely possible. And uh, I don't know if you ever want an episode talking about how 
the American wrestling landscape has been dis- functionally destroyed by capitalism or WWE itself by capitalist greed. Um, I don't know, maybe tweet us or something. I feel like we need to bring Joseph in for that episode because he did a very extensive video last year about capitalism and wrestling. Like, I don't like for anyone that is here is on our wavelength. You understand what we're talking about by this. If you're not on our wavelength, then like you've got. We can give you time to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But obviously, let's run down this list. Uh, Obviously, one very close to my heart, John Morrison. Same. (sighs) Yeah, he's been very on and off with the company, but I thought, like, you know, he'd be here for a while. They obviously brought in Ty of Valkyrie as well, his, his wife didn't put them together for whatever reason i will not understand mm. um and this... now he has been released from contract and it, it's it's a shame really this is so disheartening especially when i went and listened back to our lucha underground episode i was just I mean. like how much johnny mundo praising johnny mundo and it's like it's it's weird because it's like he's everything that they kind of want, but even then he still can't kind of be seen by creative. A guy, as... a guy, company willing, company supporting, you know, willing to take a secure place, but has potential to move higher up if they want to. Mm. Well, they they didn't. <laughs> And just kept thinking, hmm, what if we do this with The Miz again? And just keep running through the same ideas over and over. And it's like, yeah, I don't don't think that's working, really. (laughs) I I think it all comes down to him being eaten alive by zombies, wasn't it? Yeah, that, you know, (laughs) is one of them ones. Say what I say, say everything, though. John Morrison's um, run from... Uh, from now to his previous one goodness he has come leaps and bounds in his mic work oh yeah like he is so much more charismatic than he was uh, back you know in his first run he seemed a bit stilted uh, in his first run a bit inexperienced in that but coming back boy boy was he a wholly different um, man on the mic so it was like he's improved so much he's gone off He's made waves in Mexico. He's made waves in the independence. Basically, he's done everything that Drew McIntyre had done. <laughs> yeah. So, no, why not? <laughs> I got. I just again, it's that thing. I'm just. I'm just. It's another confusing one. I think this one, this list especially, is incredibly confusing. Hmm. Um, especially given the, of course, we have John Morrison, but so many established stars that you could honestly tout as the future of the WWE if they had put well, their time yeah, and effort into it. There's, there's, there's what, there's, there's a whole section we're gonna have to get into with this, so don't worry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I'll be happy wherever he decides to go. I'd love to see him link up with MLW with the Azteca Underground program. Oh no. yeah. Am I still holding on to Lucha Underground? Yes. Will I ever let it go? Maybe. 
but wherever he goes, he'll be wherever he goes. As long as he's got Ty by his side, he'll be more than fine. Oh, I yes. think yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if I mean, they want, if they want to run back Impact, I'm sure they'll just be able to just walk in and just be like, "Hey, we're back. Um, can you will you take us?" And I'm sure Scott Demore will be like, "Yes." <laughs> yes. All I ask is that they actually do a a a Doors XP riff for his theme tune because as much as i love his theme it's not the doors it's yes. Jimi hendrix and no yes. i will never not be salty about it <laughs> thank you written a bad time someone a, says it it's a great theme but his name's john morrison this doesn't sound like the doors it just doesn't <laughs> completely different <laughs> And I will never not be annoyed by it. Now listen, this ain't no make believe. <laughs> Open what? your eyes and uh, see that this is Hendrix. Listen, listen. Until I hear drunkenly, sur- drunkenly slurring, and a nine-minute organ organ playing <laughs> yeah. solo. Yes, they've got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> does does it does the theme song sound like someone's reading slam poetry while all the other musicians are on smack? No, and that's the problem. <laughs> Is the problem. <laughs> Speaking of theme songs and going off on a tangent, it blew my mind recently to find out that Big Show's original theme was sung by Michael P.S. Hayes. Um, again I might add again the problem I have with that though is that Michael P.S. Hayes is in far too many places I feel like he shouldn't be (laughs) Mm. (laughs) like I look back over stuff and then people are like hey he did he sung Big Show's theme I'm like what the fuck was he doing in the booth (laughs) and it's good Michael P.S. Hayes was the guy interviewing Austin during the famous Austin 360. He comes up... He was the original manager for the Hardy Boys. Again, what is he doing in all these places? <laughs> Should we move wow. on down the list before we go on to the tangent about yes, Michael Yes, let's move, let's move let's on. Go. Let's go. Uh, let's move on next uh, and say it's obviously annoyingly painful, especially to see two British talents on the release list because, again, feel like we should be staying even stronger right now. But obviously, Tegan Knox now reverting back to Nixon Newell, and Drake Maverick. I'll be honest, Drake Maverick has every right in the world to be as fucking annoyed as anyone else in the universe at WWE right now. Mm. They brought him back, made a story out of his release, and then re-released him. I, I God, how how miffed have you got to be? But I tell you this much: fair play to the dude. For as soon as it happening, he made an incredible video about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an incredible yeah. video about it, and it blows my mind to go. I watched this guy in Alpington as Spud, the plucky underdog who was mm-hmm. always jobbed out by the bigger guys. But to see him where he is now, I'm like. Dude, you've come so far, and it's so cool to see. That's what I mean. I like. I hope that some that like someone takes him up on this clearly really cool creative side of what he's got. Because oh. it's almost like he had that ready to go. Oh gosh, yeah, absolutely. Um, can we talk about how they absolutely fumbled on Tegan Knox and how she could have and should have been? the top tier main eventer in the women's division 
Oh, you mean like how they brought on to SmackDown in the tag team and then they got three non-title wins over the tag champs and then nothing happened? Yeah. Yeah. That's a real <laughs> thing that happened, by the way. That is a real <laughs> that is an absolute real thing that happened. I just I, I, I give them I'll give them a tiny bit of credit. I actually no, I'll give Hunter the credit actually for this one of sticking by her mm. considering the amount of inj- injuries she picked up co-currently at her time there. Because everyone knew how good she was. She, it was just a matter of like, okay, the situation hasn't quite called for it. But then obviously the repeat thing became, all right, well, I don't think this is going to happen now. It just annoys me. It upsets me because yeah, we all know annoying. how good she is. And, um, oh, she's going to, she's really going to. She's going to land on her feet and be fine. Oh, yeah. She's probably going to show, it's probably going to show the WWE that yeah, you kind of dropped the ball a little bit, and especially because well, you know, she's touting another, she's touting reigniting the rivalry with our with our dear Chris Brooks, which I'm happy to see if that is coming back. Yeah, well, well, wherever she ends up, and wherever she ends up going, wherever or not that's Japan, whether that's like uh, staying in the US, potentially doing some shows in the UK, I don't know. You know, like the mechanics on that. She has whatever she ends up doing will be, yeah. Whatever, whatever it ends up being, she'll be doing fine. Yeah. Uh, another one that's incredibly annoying to me, Shane Fawn. Yep. Big fan of Shane Fawn. Same. Um, I think ever since, ever since um, Mikey Nichols um, uh, requested his release and went back to Australia, I felt like the writing was kind of on the wall for Shane Fawn, despite the fact mm-hmm. that he is uber talented. And I think could have made a success of himself as a singles wrestler, but they just never gave him the chance to. It's the thing of, I mean, for me, I always felt like even when he was there as, well, when they were in WWE, they were TM61. <laughs> Pokemon reference, apparently. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. TMDK, as 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 a uh, the the uh, the cultured among you would know. Um. Even then, um, you know, through NXT and everything, I just felt like they just didn't give them the 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 the, the kind of I want to say the respect. Yeah, I mean they had they went to the Dusty Final of course, the Dusty Tag Classic Final against um, uh, AOP. Uh, and, yeah, and they lo- they then... lost that, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe they'll they've got something for them, but they just never kind of did. They were always in consistently really good tag matches, uh, and always put on a good Again, show. Like, we're, like, tell... we're there, and we look, we look at it, and we go, I think no NXT tag titles, no main roster tag titles. Yeah, and then they slapped slapjack on him. You know it. It, it, it's a shame. I Again, basically, as I said, I just hope we just get TMDK back. Mm. I, I'd say, and, yeah. also, and also, as we said, Jonah is now free agent, so... Yeah, we've got to get TMDK back. I mean, Mikey's made it abundantly clear that, that TMDK will most likely come back and reunite. Yeah. And, uh, to be fair, we say that. Noah's in a better position than ever right now. I, I, that's exactly what <clears> I thought. And I was like, oh, oh. Oh, does this mean we'll get these guys back in Noah? Because if that's the case, that's perfect for the pair of them. Perfect. Yeah, the Noah's no, no no in a better place than ever, which we will get to later. Um, um, 
But I heard I just, recently yeah. about Shane Fawn that the the whole Crocodile Dundee gimmick was a last last ditch effort for all, from him that he pitched yeah. to creative, and man, you, you, uh, fair play to him because he because I bet you he just thought I, I, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm just going to come up with a stupid gimmick, and they will probably say yes to that stupid gimmick. And what's the worst I've got to? What's the what's the worst that can happen? And lo and behold, they absolutely did accept it. Oh, you're Australian. We know Crocodile Dundee. Perfect. Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, for the for the for the next release, I'm just going to skip over it and just basically to be like, hey, Jackson Riker got released. Hey. It's it's not it, again. I get all of the these, feeling this maybe should have happened earlier. Not yeah. that I'm one to wish someone's job release on them, but you you people understand the context in which I'm saying this. Agreed. If you want to choose to misinterpret the context of me saying this, then I mean I've got news for you. Probably not that you'd listen to me much in the first place, but you know, yeah. past that. <laughs> uh, let's just get let's just get into this main one, right? Because. The fact that Hit Row as a collective have been released is something. It's disgusting, for lack of a better term. And now, and now, I, I, I know. I should, I should say about this, right? There's been a whole bunch of stuff flying around. Mm-hmm. So, there's been all the stuff about how, as I understand it, after BFAB was released. Mm-hmm. Top Dollar basically called in to WWE Corporate and said, why has she been released? I wanted to get her job back. Mm. And some people have taken this as him being really indignant, and then obviously the thing came out, they said apparently he had been released because he was difficult backstage. (sighs) And I'm going to reserve judgment on any of that because again often difficult to work with in the u.s often means standing up for employment rights <laughs> i was gonna say yeah. where did we hear this before keith lee like, so many times so many times it's like oh they're a bit difficult to work with also adjacent to i understand the terms of contract and i want to understand the situation as to why my colleague was fired and and or released and no information was given to us just but then, Ooh. obviously, people have taken this as him being fired for perceived attitude problems. I'm throwing up air quotes again. <laughs> as being the reason then that Ashanti Adonis and Isaiah Scott were released as well. <laughs> because apparently on main roster, they envisioned Top Dollar as the main guy of the group. When, obviously, if anyone who with, with, with kind of like two wise knows... Isaiah Swerve Scott is the most charismatic and I dare say talented of the three, even though that Ashanti Adonis and Top Dollar are bloody solid themselves. Everyone can see that Swerve is was probably the guy out of mm-hmm. all of them. Um, it blew my mind, especially because I remember a time when, when Swerve came into the company, everyone, everyone, and I mean everyone from the dirt sheets to the people, uh, from rumours going around and backstage that said, this guy's the future of NXT. This guy has everything has everything that we need to be a successful wrestler. And it's just like, 
where the hell did that go? Mm. Well, no, because it, it's the thing of people there, and I'm like, how how can you how can you be there and see and just see Isaiah Scott and just be you know what, I'm going to call him that now. I should keep calling him Shane Strickland. How can you keep seeing him and thinking, you know what? Yeah, he's not really that complete. He's got what everything that he needs. Mm. And again, I'm, the yin yang. <laughs> I, I, again, I firmly maintain that this is again this continual perceived notion against people who are deemed to be cruiserweights. He's, here's the thing. He's six one. <laughs> That's again. But the thing is, though, is he's been pegged into that whole cruiserweight. Mm. image and in the u.s it's like difficult to get past that for a lot of people yeah which again is fucking stupid but you know it's just so annoying because he's just certified talent i mean when we talked about we've seen him in nxt we know how good he is i mean we talked about it in lucha underground how good his runner's kill shot was Killshot versus Dante Fox is again legitimately one of my favorite matches of all time. Mm-hmm. Was- who, again, who, who again, Dante slash AR Fox is what again one of the most disres- disrespected and underspoken independent wrestlers of like ages. Without question. Which is again like a separate thing because I don't know how a single big company hasn't brought him in. I'm sure there's other reasons outside the outside the bounds of my knowledge. <laughs> But still, it's just crazy that like these that WWE just weren't putting anything on. And then when they brought Hit Row up, it was like they were bringing them up just to get rid of them. I I, I hate to I hate to think it, but I think well, like what you want to wrong. extend you want to you want to fucking extend it from the thirty day to the ninety day. Yeah, prove me wrong, Johnny Ace. And tell me that the reason you brought them up was so you could release them and give them the 90-day clause. Do you think he's ever going to admit that? No, of course not. Uh, but <laughs> Of course not. Uh, it just it blows my mind. I just felt like there must have been someone, anyone within creative that went, you know what, these guys are really good. Let's bring them up because I think they're going to be a really cool name for our main roster. Well, no, it's it, it it's that thing of they were getting all the buzz because, again, it was WWE showcasing a group that was incredibly popular with their black audience. Yep. And we're not going to act like there's any, there's any like bones about it. That was one of the things that got them so much traction, especially on Twitter. Yeah. It's almost like visible representation works. Funny, that. Funny. Yeah, I know, it's funny. it's just it's just dumb it is dumb and obviously we've gone through we've gone through um we've gone through all of this and then obviously tyre went on her whole chain of tweets and stuff who yeah she's talking facts (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'd say she isn't she isn't wrong like, I don't, I, I don't know what it is with people that are lying this, that are like laying this around. Yeah, they're a corporation. They don't care because it's profit margins. 
and you know, judging from what we've all heard, and you know, from what's been rumored about WWE kind of shifting their position to become a rival to uh, Marvel, it kind of makes no surprise that they're trying to do this, and they're kind of their initiative now to kind of become a more to bring a more uh, or double down on their homegrown sort of thing and create their own sort of talent and their own sort of mm. properties from that comes as no surprise. And given, of course, the massive rumor about them selling the company through all of this, um, I think the number now stands at a released talent at 80 or 79 or 80 uh, this year I alone. I don't I don't know the exact number, but I know that they've released more people than Impact have on their roster, period. Yeah. It's it's a it, it's a it's a definite shift. It's a definite shift in tone. Whether it's a good one or not, I don't know at this point, and I don't think I ever like, will know. Yeah, I think like if they're if that's the plan, then fair enough. But they have shown disregard for their homegrown talent as much as they have for people they've got in, like. Well, it, it's the thing that I was saying before, which is that obviously they're going on this whole thing of like, we want to bring people up to work our style and to do this. Which I think in the worst way is just going to lead to like... 17 Von Wagners? I mean, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> um, and Rick I guess Steiner at top. Again. Hey, look, right. Rick Steiner's Rick Steiner's cool. I'm I'm fine with him. Mm. That's all. That's all cool with me. If we had a bunch of, if we had ju- just Rex Steiner's, I, that would be a promotion I would watch heavily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I went to a wrestling event and they went, okay, here's our card, and it's just Scott Steiner wrestling six different people, I would be fine with that. <laughs> Basically, every promo I would want nothing less. Every promo would be. They say that all men are created equal. Why, you know, why it's, yes, it's yes, just, all men are created equal here. It's just, Scott, it's just Scott Steiner cutting a promo for each match on just six different opponents. I don't care. I'm here for it. But um, I guess to, to go on our normal thread of unnecessarily highbrow <laughs> thread, <laughs> uh, over, a dangerously homogenous wrestling product. Mm-hmm. Where everything's just kind of, kind of be the same. Mm. There's gonna be like very little variety in styles and presentation. And as I've, as I've said before, WWE's created this very kind of um, feral. Not, I mean, not feral. Sterile with an S. Yeah. Oh, sterile. Yeah, sterile. Um, it, it's that thing of like you know those people that boil down like comic book movies to like their, their most bare bones oh so it's kind like, of like the cowboy bebop netflix for where it's netflix like where it's like oh no oh no it's like, doing it? it's like x person is good guy this is bad guy you cheer you boo um good person wins Oh, and uh, and now mm. we're at the point where I'm like, is is SmackDown just gonna be like two hours of Roman Reigns walking to the ring? <laughs> I mean, because it's all well oh, and good. Is he, he trying has... to beat the Undertaker's record? Yeah, 
it's because it's because I, I don't I just don't know where what the end goal to this is. <laughs> I, I've heard the end goal with Roman is to make him the greatest of all time. That's that, that, yeah, that's I know, the goal but they're going the, for. Again, but that, we we've known that's the company's angle for years. At what cost, though? Because I'm here and I'm like, okay, that's fine, but. How do we get to that point? How do you make a credible challenger when you know that they're going to lose? Exactly. And I don't mean this in like the, you know, even though I don't like talking his name, if we want to say like a Volta versus Tyler Bates situation. Mm. Like you came in knowing he was going, like, you know, like he's not going to win, but like Valiant in defeat. But with Roman, it's just been like, they lose. They lost so hard that they became a jobber. <laughs> Which is really, the Valiant side of it is what should have been the booking it, for Cesaro versus Roman. I'm just yeah, it, saying. It, it should, it, like, it, at this point, you need something that gives some kind of feel-good factor to it. It can't just be feeding guys for two years <laughs> until you get to a potential for, the match, for a match with The Rock. Which Roman's probably going to win. You need credible challengers. Yeah. You can't just keep putting a conveyor belt of people going, oh, maybe they'll win this time, and then they announce who he's facing at the next pay-per-view. Do you think it's really going to harm Roman if he loses the title before he faces The Rock? Because the only, the only factor now is if he loses via money in the bank. Hmm. Or he loses through some kind of, un, you know, like unclean booking, like a triple threat or something, or a dusty finish. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably going to be a dusty finish the way he loses the title, isn't it? Like that's that's the thing. So it's just again, it's just that thing of what is the end goal? What is the aim of this? I think anyone's guess is as good as theirs. You know. I think we've been rendered speechless, haven't we? I'm literally just at the end. I'm like, it's literally just a thing of to 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 quote the first episode of Red versus Blue. Do you ever wonder why we're here? That is a. I tell you, that is. I think that's a good way to end the news, if I'm honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah frankly. I mean, I guess, you know, if you want to talk on the other side of things, everything seems to be going quite well with AEW. Uh, Hangman yeah. Page has been uh, has been received really well as world champion. Uh, he put out his press release that I read and immediately knew it was written by someone who used to be a teacher. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I loved. And as I said, as we uh, as we said before, there uh, Wrestle Kingdom is now three nights, which is criminal. But the third night is meant to be New Japan versus Pro Wrestling Noah, which I love. I love that. I love uh, when they do the already, super cards. It's already ramped up big with Okada saying, "Do the Olympic athletes care what the local athletic club is doing?" Mm-hmm. That's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Okada spitting true facts there. Um. <laughs> But uh, I mean, as we said, compared to compared to New Japan, Noah's probably in the better position. Yeah, <laughs> and that's even when they had Keiji Muto as their world champion. <laughs> I know it's kind, it's crazy. Uh, um, and obviously, there's potential for some really for some really cool um, some really cool matches. I am really worried that a bunch of them are going to be 
like multi-man matches, but there's so much great potential. Um, mm. The only the, the only thing that I I really ideally want is I would love for them to. I would love a rerun of Marafuji Okada. I would love to see that. If they if they could rerun that, um, hopefully, hopefully they they run um, Shingo versus Nakajima. <laughs> That'd be. And good then match. obviously, as everyone's been saying, Naito versus Keno, because that would be hilarious. <laughs> um, on the other side of things, though. Um, please cons- uh, please consider the following ZSJ and Minoru Suzuki versus it's uh, Sakuraba and Sugiura I'd pay good money to see that I'd pay good money to see that maybe even enough that to watch it not on New Japan World because it's coming a week after thank you Bushi Road <laughs> I see the stardom models in full effect. There we go. <laughs> but no, it it should be great, and it'll be hopefully be a nice refresher after two nights of Wrestle Kingdom. Hoping, hoping. <laughs> god, three nights of bloody Wrestle Kingdom. At least there isn't four nights of WrestleMania. Oh god, I've said it now, haven't I? Just watch when WWE come through, and WrestleMania is going to be three nights long. <laughs> I'd actually yell. <laughs> uh, it was good to see Tomohiro Ishii in AEW as well. Loved oh, hell yeah, it was. Coming out to Where Is My Mind is, some, is something that I never thought would the... happen. See, now that bit, I was like, okay, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> um, but seeing, seeing American fans that had never seen Ishii before <laughs> was hilarious. Oh, and seeing the comments on that video going, I've never seen this man before, but I love him, and I want to see more of him. Have you ever seen a man that just lit... He's the embodiment of built like an LG fridge. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> it is literally, he is just like... All shoulders. <laughs> oh, I love man. him so much. I love Ishii. It'll be great to see in 2022 if we get a third match between him and Keith Lee. But I can dream. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, with that, are we done with the news, Dan? We are done with the news. Lovely stuff. Reardon, Recommendation Corner, do you have anything to recommend I... to us and lovely our lovely listeners? I do. So, amongst the Sweet Chinwag podcast... There has been one movie that we have discussed multiple occasions that isn't The Matrix Resurrections, and that (laughs) is June. Mm -hmm. A movie that, let's be honest, we thought would be the, I can't wait for this good movie to flop. Like, because it's June, (laughs) of all goddamn things. But I have now seen the June movie, and the June movie apparently actually did well in the box office, so we will be getting the we will unbelievably be getting the next part of it. Which I know blew my goddamn mind. I cannot believe that. Like <laughs> good or bad, I can't believe it. But not only that, but the June movie is good, 
and and this is the most shocking part semi-legible if you haven't read the book <laughs> it, it's genuinely a feat <laughs> I, I understood what was happening were yes. a few were, was there a few things that um I did that were there a few things that I didn't understand sure but it yes, you're, you're viewing media based on Dune. I don't think it's, you can understand everything. Yes, exactly. But it is a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I would check it out. It's what? just... I will it, say. It's June. Yeah, mm. it's June. It's great. I will say, though, um, one thing about it. Uh, be careful if you're reading about it online, because it does expose the fact that some people online really don't have media literacy. Mm. Uh, and like in like the oh wow you really don't have media literacy way <laughs> because uh let's just say some of the takes on it have been uh interesting oh gosh yeah, yeah i've seen yeah. them i've seen them I myself mean, i mean that's what happens when you when you like adapt a book in the that was made in the 60s but there are still some takes. Is it just me though? I, I went and saw it quite recently. I I thought everyone who was in the film knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, Timothy oh, yeah. Chalamet, um, Oscar Isaac, Zendaya, Batista was fantastic in that film. Great work, Dave. Good work, Dave. All the time uh, though, every time I saw Oscar Isaac, I I I um, I thought one thing in the back of my mind: God, he's going to be so fucking good as Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid film. <laughs> Although I will say, seeing uh, what I mo what I lovingly termed uh, light skin Batista, I didn't like it. It's creepy That's as hell. Awkward. It's creepy. Uh, it my, felt um, weird. Yeah, my my um my highlights go to go to uh, Jason Momoa. I think steals the movie. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and also um Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron is mwah. Yeah. Just incredible. It's a solid Lovely. cast. I've never known no, a sci-fi film to have a really solid cast, quite like Dune. Mm. I think they were just there and they're like, we need everyone we can get on this. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, great recommendation there, Reardon. Loved yes. it. Absolutely loved it. And I'm so glad it's getting a, a, a second film, for sure. Oh, Kidoke. Chaps, we've delayed it long enough. Let's crack on with part two of the icon called Sting, 2002 to present day. So, where did we leave off? Well, we left off on the very last Nitro, closing out the final match, Ric Flair and Sting embrace in the middle of the ring for all of 10 seconds before they cut to the simulcast of Vince McMahon getting pissed that they couldn't time it right. <laughs> and they're walking back down the ring. So that is the last we would see of Sting for quite a while it would actually be a year and a half actually that he would be on hiatus and during this time he did what a lot of wcw contracted wrestlers would do at that time they sat out their time warner contracts do you reckon that he went surfing oh absolutely <laughs> yeah he had to surely <laughs> which funny enough brings me up like something i forgot to bring up uh on the last episode the the ruse advert of surfacing on a surfboard 
<laughs> which is something I just love with all of my whole fiber of my being. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> so, reasoning behind why Sting did what he did. It's very well known that the reason kind of Sting didn't become part of the invasion angle was uh, a factor of things, actually. He had a number of meetings with Vince McMahon, and they were always nice, cordial meetings. They were always very friendly with one another, and always struck up a nice conversation of potentially coming into the company. But it wasn't until the invasion angle started happening, and when he saw a very infamous clip of Booker T and Rock doing a dueling promo... Uh, to the line of Rock saying, who in the blue hell are you, Booker C, B, D, or E, that Sting just went, you know, I'm not so sure about this, because I've built all this legacy I've built up in WCW, and then it's just going to kind of get thrown into the dirt by WWF. It just doesn't make sense to me why I would come in for that to happen. So, he vehemently stuck his foot in the mud and was like, I am sitting out my contract. <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> so, in 2002, he would come back into the ring, not with total non-stop action, but with a little company in Australia called World Wrestling All-Stars. <laughs> now this, this is a doozy, Reardon. This is a really <laughs> interesting time in Sting's career. So, World Wrestling All-Stars was kind of like one of three companies that were built in the ashes of WCW. You had World Wrestling All-Stars, you had WXO, and you had the XWF. World Wrestling All-Stars was an Australian promotion, I believe, um, made by a concert promoter. Uh, in Australia. Okay, that sounds bad. (laughs) I can't remember the name of the guy. I think it was Andrew... Andrew... Andrew McManus. That was the name. Uh, Concert promoter Andrew McManus. He decided to kind of just take all of the kind of vestiges and last bits and pieces of WCW and trying to see if he can make his own promotion. So, they started running matches and events in Australia exclusively before, in November, touring and as to making their first stop in Dublin, Ireland. Okay. Where Sting would make his debut in a tag team match, okay. teaming up with his old frenemy, Lex Luger, to defeat the okay. tag team of Buff Bagwell and the former Wall, now known as Malice. Okay. <laughs> there's a, okay, first off, there's a couple questions here. Um... So, there's this dude in Australia. Yes. Who sees WCW die and goes, you know what? I've got a plan here. Because (laughs) we should really ascertain that even to this day, per se, Australia doesn't have a true home promotion. Mm Mm-hmm. There are obviously major major promotions in the Australian region, Mm -hmm. but... Not really any that are like internationally well known. Probably the closest at this point is actually probably DMDU, yeah. <laughs> which is a statement. <laughs> um, any Australian promotions that want to contact us and say you're really good, please let us know. We'd be yeah. very much interested. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I have a blood feud with the subcontinent of Australia, but please let us know. I mean, rightfully so. <laughs> um. um 
but here's here's my bigger qualms. Okay, they're touring mm-hmm. internationally first time. Mm-hmm. Why Dublin Island? <laughs> well, this would be the one and only uh, tour that they would do. Uh, because it was, I wonder why. Because it would be it was only exclusively European. By that I mean Ireland, England, uh, Scotland, and uh, Germany. Oh, by the way, just one event in Germany. <laughs> to be oh. fair, though, you say that he's a concert promoter. So for most concert promoters, that is just Europe. A European tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. But so A, why Dublin? But B. If you have your debuting Sting, why are you doing in a tag team match? Oh, trust me, huh? You're gonna love this. So why, bef- why the fuck are you debuting Sting in a tag match? <laughs> what? It only gets worse from here, may I add, Dan? So in oh, the I lead- wonder how. In the lead up to their next pay per view event, which was called the Retribution. Sorry, I should actually in in the in the famous words of Brian Zane, I should say it properly. The Retribution. Uh, <laughs> in the lead up, they would have stop gaps in uh, Birmingham, London, Brighton, and Newcastle, uh, where they would repeat. Uh, the match of Lex Luger and Sting versus Buff Bergwall and Malice yeah. before replacing Lex Luger with the newly debuting Nathan Jones. What? Nathan Jones okay, teaming right, with Sting so... to take on Buff Bagwell and Malice. Man, I am so confused by everything you've just said. I mean... Fucking fair dinkum, true blue Aussie, <laughs> something like that. Yes, the it was it the Colossus of Boggo Road is I think what the nickname they gave Nathan Jones in WWE. But if you don't know, Nathan Jones, former yes. powerlifter that served time in Boggo Road Prison, and was yeah. touted as the next big thing in WWE. Even though they had Brock Lesnar at the time, he was a huge dude, six eleven, and uh, and what did they do when he had his debut match in WrestleMania, teaming with the Undertaker? They wrote him out of the match. I wonder why. <laughs> Needless to say, Nathan Jones in his time here, it wasn't touted incredibly well, but lo and behold, a couple of months later, he'd be signed to the WWE because he's six foot 11. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> All of these matches though would lead up, as I said, to their next pay-per-view, The Retribution, which saw the WWA World Heavyweight Championship match that was vacant. This would be the to crown the first champion. See Sting going up against Lex Luger. Now, a highlight of this match. This is 2002. <laughs> It is. Uh, and you want to know what the highlight of this match is? It's not even any of the action. Is it the end? <laughs> no, it's when Lex Luger, two minutes into the match... Oh, by the way, I must add, this match was only seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> of course. Because it's 2002. <laughs> Lex Luger, two minutes into the match, gets on the mic and he says to the, the Glasgow crowd, how dare you people disrespect the total package here in Glasgow, England! <laughs> so which Sting gets on the mic and say, first of all, my friend, this is Scotland. <laughs> and then Sting became a Scottish hero for the rest of his life. <laughs> yes. It's just proof that Lex Luger is as as silly 
as his infamous uh, promo where he can't take off the t-shirt. <laughs> like he is the he is the total package, but like not when it comes to the brain side of things. <laughs> so, would you believe that Lex Luger won this match? <laughs> What, what what is this? Um, 2002, by the way. What's yes. going on? Yes. Oh boy. I think I think I have many questions, but I don't think there's enough answers in the universe for them. <laughs> yeah, like I have many questions, but I know I'm not getting answers, so I'm not bothering. <laughs> oh no no, no 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 no! As you as you as you shouldn't as you shouldn't. So around this time, WWA was. Um, forming a uh, a friendship and a connection with a certain little known territory coming out of Memphis or sorry Tennessee I should say not Memphis Tennessee uh, in Tennessee in general and that of course was total non-stop wrestling action fun fact WWA was actually originally supposed to be booked by Vince Russo but Vince Russo was a little bit too busy making his own evangelical wrestling promotion at the time so gave all of the booking duties and recommended excuse them excuse me <laughs> evangelical wrestling promotion yes he was he was a born again Christian and was actually ho- and uh, promoting and booking wrestling shows in churches What's he gonna do? Book fucking Jonah against the actual fucking whale? Oh, you, you won't believe this. They actually once had a character uh, of uh, who was a cleaner and a sweeper and a carpenter, and they kind of made him out to be. They made him out to fucking... be Jesus. What the actual fuck? We will talk about Power of Glory on another episode because it is out there i would tell okay. you that i need fucking answers <laughs> i don't think you're gonna get them i'm sorry not here i'm not but not i am here. after but you are but you definitely will after we're done here so uh booking duties were actually given to jeremy borash for wwa <laughs> of course jb would become an announcer and would help with the producing and booking in tna hence how this connection happened so, this is where we get into uh, Jeff Jarrett coming into the mix in WWA and having a lot of cross-promotion with TNA, which would see the WWA World Championship coming up in, uh, like, title unification matches with the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. A couple of event- events here and there, which would see Luger and Sting team again to defeat the team of Buff Bagwell and Jeff Jarrett. Can you see where this is going? There is... A very common thread coming through here with WWE. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, they would come back to Australia and they would host their last event on uh, <laughs> in May of 2003, which would see a title unification match. The newly crowned WWA champion Sting going up against Jeff Jarrett. Now, of course, as you know, NWA, TNA, NWA, TNA at this time. Jarrett's on top of the world. Lol, Jarrett yeah. wins. He unifies the titles to become the king of the mountains. Because of course it's, of course it's Jeff Jarrett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that closes Sting's time in WWA. Around this time, Jarrett was kind of trying to get the feelers out for Sting. Kind of trying to convince him to come to TNA. Even if it's just not for, you know, a year Maybe it's just for an appearance here and there. Sting was a little apprehensive. It's been a while since he's been back in America wrestling regularly um, in an American promotion. But eventually, Sting warmed up to the idea 
And in 2003, he signed a contract committing him to just four appearances in TNA. <laughs> just four. He would debut in June of 2003, not long after the WWA appearance, teaming with Jeff Jarrett to take on the tag team of AJ Styles and Sean Waltman, going by the name Six Pack at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, AJ Styles and Pack at this time were a part of the Vince Russo-led stable, Sports Entertainment Extreme. Oh, yes, sex <laughs> for sure. I just like every time I hear that, I'm just like, yeah, the wrestling business is like man-child central. <laughs> really is. It's rather disconcerting. <laughs> Following this, though, uh, they would actually have a lot of uh, sit-down interview segments where uh, Sting would be uh, 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 interviewed by Mike Tanay discussing uh, his career, becoming a born-again Christian, and how he kind of uh, is eventually getting back into wrestling and how much he's enjoying it once more. He would return to TNA in November, taking on Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Sting won the match, but by DQ. Of course, Jarrett still holds the 10 pounds of gold because at this mm-hmm. time, no one was taking the title off of Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> His third appearance in TNA would be teaming up against AJ Styles to take on the team of Jeff Jarrett and goddamn Lex Luger. <laughs> okay, uh, why is... Why is Sting and Lex Luger, of all people, destined to do this forever? That makes no sense. It's 2002 and 3, no may sense. I add. I, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it's so silly. So silly. But for all, like, I went back and watched this. I remember, remember this match vividly. And it's just like, you could see how much Sting was like, this AJ kid's going to be awesome he's going to be the future of this company and this industry uh and his final match would be one day before my birthday on the 17th of december 2003 episode of total non-stop action sting defeated jeff jarrett in a bog standard main event that wasn't even for a title (laughs) Oh, yay! (laughs) And thus, Sting's commitments to TNA would be done then. As a part, actually, of his TNA contract and his commitment to four appearances, Sting actually had a biographical film made about him called Sting, The Moment of Truth. And this was a a direct-to-video biographical film. And if you've not seen... Uh, Brian Zane, Wrestling with Regrets review on it. I highly recommend it. I believe it's it. It might be circulating around uh, the internet one way or another. I'm not going okay. to promote everyone to kind of torrent it or you know do anything like that. Uh, but it is there. I I believe it's free on Amazon Prime if you go and find it. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's certainly something. Of course, the infamous moment of Sting drinking a beer and looking at himself in the mirror is a moment that is memed in the wrestling at, in the wrestling sphere. <laughs> so that would be Sting's first time in TNA. Where would he do? Where would he go in this time? He actually had from 2004 to 2005 only two matches. And would you believe one of them was in South Korea? 
Okay, what? Like, oh, huh? like as a, this has like a touring thing, or there was a wrestling event in Korea that he was like, I want in. Believe it or not, it was actually for the NWA. But I'll get to okay. that. His first match in 2004, and only match in 2004, saw Sting teaming up with the Great Muta to take on the team of Satoshi Kojima and Diamond Dallas Page. In terms of things that I would have pictured, like they are all people that are contemporary to each other. Everything works in that time frame, but everything feels wrong. <laughs> in Honolulu, Hawaii, may I add as well. So it's definitely a holiday for all four of them. Yes. <laughs> like like everything in that, I'm like, yeah, they're all around at roughly the same time. They probably were in roughly all the same level of conditioning and probably still active somewhat to a degree in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And to think, one of those, one of those guys, one of those guys has been in AEW recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well no, very two. Oh, two of them. Yeah, DDP. Oh, well, three of them actually. Three then. DDP, DDP and Kojima, Kojima and Sting. <laughs> Great. That is nuts. I mean, oh, let's be honest. Muta's probably going to end up being in <laughs> AEW one way or the other. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know that he will, but we'll, I'll see. <laughs> we shall see the Dark Carnival reunion. Anyway, his his match, his next match in two thousand and five saw Sting uh, facing off against Mister Ass Billy Gunn in South Korea for the NWA. <laughs> what? <laughs> I shit you not. It's on cage match. Sting defeats Billy Gunn for the NWA Mid-Atlantic in the Jamsil Indoor Stadium in Seoul, South Korea. <laughs> Go look it up. It's there for everyone to see. <laughs> this period, like, before TNA properly took off might be one of the most cursed periods in wrestling. <laughs> it's just wild it's just nothing but wilderness from here on out isn't like it? this this interim of wcw closing and then like tna becoming like a major thing in like oh five yes <laughs> feels so cursed <laughs> oh man it's only gonna get worse no <laughs> so it wouldn't be until Wow, God, it would not be until December 2005, a whole 11 months after that match in South Korea. Uh, at turning point, Jeff Jarrett would stood in the ring celebrating another victory as NWA world champion when the lights in the arena went out and a silhouette of a scorpion appeared on the screens and on the mat with a date, January 15th, 2006. A spotlight then illuminated the centre of the ring, which saw a trench coat, boots, and a black baseball bat planted centre in the ring. It was official. Sting is coming back to total non-stop action. Funnily enough... Do so you think the crow was too on the nose, or...? A tiny bit, possibly. <laughs> so, funnily enough, January 15th... Um, 2006 was also the date of TNA Final Resolution <laughs> which saw nice. Steve team up against with Christian Cage I should say to take on the team of Jeff Jarrett and the newly healed Monty Brown 
can we necessarily confirm nor deny if Lex Luger was in the building? No, he wasn't, fortunately. Okay. <laughs> I'd like Good. to think I like to think that as because it's like poetry it rhymes, he was in the rafters looking down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh I've oh I would have loved that. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, that would have been so good. <laughs> so, on the January 28th episode of Impact, Sting would make his debut on Spike TV and his first appearance on national television in the United States in almost five years. Jesus. But he would quickly, after in that appearance, announce his retirement from professional wrestling. Huh. So, with Sting gone, the storyline with Jeff Jarrett and his and his kind of stable continuing, he was Jarrett was very very paranoid that Sting had not actually retired and was very worried that he might come back and and uh, and attack him one way or the other. So this leads us to a very inf- infamous uh, segment uh, through the weeks in TNA where Jarrett sent a uh, stable mate and Paparazzi Productions' own Alex Shelley to California to videotape Sting at home. Um, <laughs> I forgot about this. Yes, yes. If you remember, the most infamous moment of it was the last uh, time that Shelley filmed uh, Sting. Uh, Sting, discovering that Shelley was filming him, walked up to Shelley... Uh, batted the camera out of his hands and told him that he was going to show up at Destination X, confront Jeff Jarrett, not as Sting, but as Steve Borden. Stings. Would he say alter ego? But just, no, that's just Sting in general. Just Sting's ego. It's not alter ego. That's just who Sting is. (laughs) The man called Steve. The man called Steve. God. It's just a fucking thing. We brought our most terrifying assassin, Steve. Steve. <laughs> so, Destination Destination X would come and go. The main event happens, and Sting returns and attacks Jarrett's army, placing Jeff in the Scorpion Deathlock. But whole Sting was not the only person that returned. For a debuting, Scott Steiner came out and attacked Sting, <laughs> put him in the Steiner recliner. <laughs> Holla, if you hear me. And now Scott Steiner is the muscle oh. to Jeff Jarrett's army. Now this is the WCW revival I want. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This led to, of course, the lethal lockdown steel cage match, which saw AJ Styles... Rhino, Wrong the Truth Killings, and Sting going up against Jarrett's army, America's Most Wanted, Chris Harris and James Storm, Jeff Jarrett, and Scott Steiner. I remember this match very vividly for Scott Steiner pulling off a top rope Frankensteiner on AJ Styles and everyone going, how the fuck is he still doing that at his age? (laughs) (laughs) This, of course, saw the team of Sting, uh, Team Sting, win this lethal lockdown match. And it would, and and the and the rivalry between Jarrett and Sting would continue all the way into 2006. Following lockdown, actually, Sting proceeded to seek out partners to help him defeat Jarrett and Steiner for good. After, believe it or right, this is I remember this segment vividly. After teasing and bringing out Buff Bagwell. Rick yes, Steiner I remember this. and Lex Luger as options. There he is. 
There he is, always waiting in the wings. Sting settled on Samoa Joe. And at sacrifice, mm. Sting and Joe defeated Jarrett and Steiner after Joe pinned Jarrett with a muscle buster. Still proving unsuccessful at putting Jarrett away, Sting set his eyes on Scott Steiner and beat him via disqualification to earn a spot at the upcoming King of the Mountain match at June's Slammiversary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, at the King of the Mountain match, we had the champion Christian Cage going up against Abyss, Ron the Truth Killings, Jeff Jarrett, and Sting. And of course, as we all know, as this is the King of the Mountain match, and as is because Jeff Jarrett's in this match, Jarrett wins, lol. To become a TNA or NWA, or is it TNA? No, it would be NWA at this time. Yes, NWA World Champion uh, for uh, the upteenth time. Sting, though, was distracted by this match, which allowed crooked referee Earl Hebner to knock over the ladder. Both both uh, both men were on. Uh, both Jarrett, no, sorry, Christian Cage and Sting were on, sending them to the floor, allowing Jarrett to pick up the victory. It makes it I mean crooked referee Earl Hebner. I mean, just that sentence alone saying that. Well, as I as I said, Earl Hebner is probably the referee that's known best for not being a good referee. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> it is it is so at victory road sting would win a four-way to win a title shot for the championship he received his shot at the next pay-per-view hard justice he failed to capture the title though after christian cage turned heel and hit sting with jarrett's guitar if you remember it was sting was about to do a, a stinger splash from the top rope but i don't i mean perfectly timed from christian cage whacked the guitar as Sting was mid-air. <laughs> Over the head, may I have. Uh, this, of course, would lead to the very famous moment. Bow for Glory 2006. Sting versus Jeff Jarrett for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. If Sting loses, his career is over. What I love about this, what's famous for me on this one, is that Sting came out, uh, not in his usual black and white garb, but in black and red, and without mm. without a singlet, and he bulked up big time for this match. <laughs> and he looked, I mean, at the I think it was in his late 40s, early 50s at this time, and he looked incredible for his age at this time. Of course, Sting, with uh, with special guest enforcer Kurt Angle at ringside, yeah, <laughs> would win this match, tapping out Jarrett with the Scorpion Deathlock and winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship for a second time. Fun fact about this one: Sting became the oldest NWA World Heavyweight Championship of the TNA era, as well as the only person. Yeah. To ever win the title both times before and after the inception of TNA. Interesting, yeah. Also, Sting would be the longest wrestler to recapture the NWA title uh, from 1990 to 2006. That is a 16 year gap from title victories. I didn't even think about it like that. Jesus. <laughs> Sting would actually go on to lose the title at November's Genesis 
uh, to Abyss via disqualification after pushing the referee and pushing Abyss into a stack of tables covered in barbed wire. The feud with Abyss would continue, with Christian Cage getting involved in uh, in, in it uh, every now and again. But the three of them would end up facing a, a, in a triple threat match at December's turning point for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, but Abyss would retain the title. This brings us to the TNA World Heavyweight Championship era. Of course, mm-hmm. after, in 2007, the NWA would sever ties with total non-stop action, and that made, of course, them panic and then have to make new titles for them. So thus came the TNA World Championship, the TNA X Division Championship, the TNA Tag Championships, and so on and so forth. I believe, actually, Christian Cage would have been the last person to hold the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in TNA. I believe so. So it was kind of funny because it was kind of right as they were about to go in to sacrifice, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, actually, it says here uh, on my research, the day of the pay-per-view at Sacrifice. Oh, my NW- God. <laughs> the de- NWA <laughs> stripped Cage and the tag champions Team 3D of their titles. The reason... Looking on the day. The reason... TNA, uh, sorry, NWA Executive Director Robert Trobick stated Cage refused to defend the title outside of TNA and at L- NWA live events. Huh. So, okay. here's the thing, right, though. Cage, still holding the NWA Championship at the event, defended what was billed as simply the World Heavyweight Championship. I mean, as, as in terms of getting around logistical problems, that's probably about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, True. that sounds... True. I if you're there on the day... It's a solution. Angle would capture the title. It would be the victor of that triple threat match. And that made him the first official TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Of course, with all this vacations happen and it all culminates at a king of the mountain match at slammiversary fucking king of the mountain because of course it does come on come on you know there's this. one thing that tna tried to do was try and get over gimmick matches that really just shouldn't exist <laughs> but would you believe sting wasn't a part of this one he was supposed to be but I think they changed it so he lost his qualifying match to Samoa Joe after Christopher Daniels interfered. So instead, Sting went on to have actually a really decent yeah. match with Daniels at that at that, yeah. uh, at that Slammiversary. Uh, one that you should definitely go out and try and seek because uh, it's a bloody good match. Bloody good match. So after that, after that little feud with Daniels, Sting began uh, teaming up with Abyss, <laughs> funnily enough. To take on the the, the the tag team of AJ Styles and Tomko. Jesus Christ, oh, yeah, that, that was a thing. That, fucking wasn't that it? was a thing. Jesus Christ. Yes, of course. Uh, they were the Christian Coalition, if you remember. Uh, yeah. Styles and Tomko. Yeah. Of course, AJ Styles would be part of the Christian Coalition. <laughs> uh, so, a lot of tag team matches, which involved a lot of gimmicks thumbtacks, broken glass, tables, chairs, more barbed wire. 
Yes. I mean, uh, it has abyss in it, so... <laughs> this all culminated in Sting and Abyss getting revenge on uh, on Christian Cage and AJ Styles in a ladder match, which uh, the winner would earn a contract that allowed them to pick the type of match between, uh, between uh, whoever won uh, that match. Uh, so, with Abyss and Sting winning the match, Abyss decided to face Christian at Hard Justice... And uh, in a Doomsday Chamber of Blood match, <laughs> that is oh, that is a choice of name, but okay. <laughs> Abyss won by pinning AJ to become the number one contender for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. <clears throat> so, Sting started a feud with Kurt Angle at this time. Uh, <laughs> Oh gosh, right. This is where it gets weird, right? Because now, yeah. we, now we come into uh, uh, a, 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 a weird time in TNA. So Sting had uh, matches at this time with Kurt Angle. He would defeat. I, I have matches against AJ Styles, Christian Cage, Joe, um, and would actually defeat all three of them in a four-way match to become the co-holder of the TNA World Tag Team Championships with Angle. Yeah, but lose it thirty days later. To the team of Ron Killings. Oh, and he's back, he's back. He's the Pac-Man Jones, baby. Yeah, this whole mess. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. NFL player Adam Pac-Man Jones. Who's... Couldn't wrestle. And when I say he couldn't wrestle, I mean, like, in terms of he just couldn't, because of logistical difficulties, mm-hmm. we're going to say. So it wasn't someone else in the match for him. He would soon be substituted by Consequences Creed. Yes. Old Xavier Woods, as we now know him. <laughs> I just want to know, like, who decided this and didn't think about, like, can we put him in this position? Oh, we can't. Well, Russo. shit. Russo, think about it. Yeah, I know, but, like, I feel like you should have... Th- I don't... Uh, why do I think wrestling promoters have organisational sense? <laughs> uh, this, Of course, this would all culminate his, his rivalry with Angle at Bound for Glory, where Sting would win his first TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Now, I might be wrong in this, but this might have also been the match where Kurt Angle was very um, nuts and decided to try and do a 450 splash, but decided to land on Sting with his knees rather than his chest. Well, I was going to say, we're definitely in perk angle territory. <laughs> oh, yeah, but he was jumping off anything and everything. <laughs> By the way, highly recommended, actually. Uh, if you if you don't know the YouTube channel, go out. Go and check out Marky D one two three, who recently yes. did a video um, chronicling and rating all of Perk Angle's matches in TNA. And when I say Perk Angle, I mean Perk Angle. For 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 the for the wrestling fans that don't know what we mean when we say Perk Angle, uh, Reed, you okay if I take over the Pokedex? Oh, for a second? oh please, Pokedex, please, Pokedex. <laughs> Pokedex, Perk Angle. <laughs> Perk Angle is the period in Kurt Angle's career running from roughly like 2006 to 2011 mm-hmm. when by on his own admission Kurt was taking an ungodly amount of painkillers. Yes. And when I say ungodly I mean something to the tune of I think he said that he'd be taking upwards of like six or seven every day. 
Mm-hmm. And we're talking about like, so in the US, the name for it is Percocet, but op- opioid painkillers. Mm. So we're talking about stuff that's like orders of magnitude stronger than like even potentially morphine. Mm-hmm. Like every day. Yeah, it was. Crazy. So we're talking like in we're talking like in an order of like sixty something a week. And basically, at this time, he would just do the most ridiculous stuff ever. And like we've seen in like WWE that he'd done like moon salts. Mm-hmm. But then, to give you an idea of like where Kurt was at this stage in this in the Perk Angle period, that one of the most infamous clips on any compilation that has the name Perk Angle is the somersault off the stage onto Abyss. Yes. Which and, uh, which and which I found out was not planned. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was just he was just on stage and just fucking launched himself at Abyss. <laughs> he literally just jumped off the ran, jumped off the stage, did a did like a flip, and then just landed on Abyss. And it was not planned. Abyss did not know that was happening. Wow. <laughs> And like we had, there's multiple like moon assaults off the off the cages. Not very famous, um, infamous one being the one that he had a cage match against uh, Mr. Kennett or Mr. Anderson, where he yeah. almost missed the damn ring. Like he he went he went and competed in the X division a bunch of times. Yes, Which oh if yes. If you don't know, the X division was TNA's equivalent of like the cruiserweight division. <laughs> Oh yes, where Kurt, this like is the any, era where Kurt Angle had all the belts, and just like just literally, he was just going crazy, and so it's referred to by wrestling fans as Perk Angle, and it's something that now because he's healthy and he's clean, we can look back on and be like, man, that was crazy and awesome, but also we know how just how damaging it was to his body. Yes, yes. yes. So Kurt, thank you for your service. <laughs> thank you thank you thank you kurt so after bound for glory he would actually lose the title back to angle on the next impact after kevin nash came back and interfered on angle's behalf this would lead up to a tag team match at the upcoming genesis kurt angle and kevin nash versus sting and a mystery partner a mystery partner where sting says both nash and angle know very very well indeed of course genesis Luger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh i wish no um but it's actually a really good partner actually because with genesis here the main event about to happen sting comes out and reveals his partner to be the newly debuting booker t Oh, yeah. You know what you want this black snow. <laughs> oh, of course it gave us the black dog. We're like we're like years away from this at this point, but I don't care. Black <laughs> Oh my god, the black dog. We're already a few but uh, several months, maybe even a year away from it. That's how crazy this is. So uh the stipulation for this match was that whoever scored the pinfall <clears throat> would win the TNA World Championship. So Angle mm. won this one, obviously, to retain the championship. Yeah. This would actually be the final appearance for Sting in 2007, as he would take some time off at this time to be with his family. So oh, that's good. 
Let's fast forward a little bit to 2008. Let's fast forward a little bit to July of 2008. Sting's been back for a little while now. Hasn't been in a couple of storylines here and there. Has been contemplating retirement in interviews here and there as well. He's deep in a rivalry with Samoa Joe for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. And it comes up with a match at Victory Road between Joe and Sting. Sting. Uh, actually, no. I should say it was that match was actually between Booker T and Samoa Joe, I should add. My mm-hmm. apologies. Uh, during this match, Sting was trying to talk some sense into Joe as he was brutally beating Booker T to a pulp and was potentially heading towards a DQ. Joe, in his anger and rage, rebuked him, and Sting decided to strike Joe with his trademark baseball bat. The feud intensified from this time between Joe and Booker, with episodes ending with Booker T and Charmel striking Joe with Sting's bat as Impact Mm -hmm. went off the air. This course brings into question whether Sting had turned on Samoa Joe and become a heel. Although still receiving a kind of genuine kind of like face reaction from the fans sting would eventually side with booker t and of course this leads us to the main event mafia october let's go here we go october 2008 bound for glory for sting challenges joe for the world's heavyweight championship and won the title after Kevin Nash returns and hits Joe with Sting's bat. Sting, alongside Kurt Angle, Booker T, Kevin Nash, and Scott Steiner, created the Main Event Mafia, a stable formed by veterans and former world champions. And they would go on to feud with the younger wrestlers in TNA, who they would coin themselves as the front line. Now, let me just say about the main event mafia, which is in the long run, did this storyline actually negatively affect TNA? I reckon so. Yeah, I do reckon that. I can't lie, it was pretty fucking great. Oh, it was great. It gave us so many incredibly good moments. We had Kurt Angle as Nuts Godfather of the group, we had Scott Steiner being Scott Steiner. It, it, I can't lie. In the end, it was actually bad for the. It was bad for the company, but mm. it was so good while it lasted. We had Booker T going back to his, um, oh, his King Booker accent. Yeah, which I don't mind. And of course, we get oh my god, Chet Lemon and Black Snow. Oh my god, Black Snow, Black Snow, Black Snow. He got he, he been the bean on AJ now in the Black Snow. Boogie on in the ring, boogie with the axe kick. Are you you all right? Have you never seen that clip? I have, but I'm still going to ask. (laughs) No, I'm not all right. We're talking about this period of TNA. (laughs) Oh. So, uh, Sting actually ended up having uh, quite a lot of good rivalries, actually. Uh, One with AJ Styles, a great match with AJ at Turning Point, uh, a match against Rhino at January 2009's Genesis, But also around this time, he would actually feud with Kurt Angle, who was becoming incredibly jealous of Sting being world champion and actually wanted the title for himself. (laughs) Because of course he did. Uh, Of course, this also sees the return of Jeff Jarrett, with the main event Mafia still running things in TNA. And of course, Jeff Jarrett plays his ace card and Mick Foley comes into the mix in TNA. Yes. So, here we go. 
It's lockdown 2009. Sting loses the TNA World Championship to Mick Foley inside the Six Sides of Steel, ending a 189-day reign as TNA champion. And may I add, that is the longest reign he has ever had with a world title in any promotion. Wow. That's weird as hell. It's so weird. You'd think he'd had long reigns as WCW champion, but nope. Nope. That's kind of grim. (laughs) My God. So where did the main event mafia go from here? That sacrifice, Sting defeated Angle to become the new godfather of the mafia. (laughs) Gosh. Uh, With Matt Morgan wanting to join the group, Sting decided to face Morgan, and if he won, would be able to join the main event mafia. Sting defeated Matt Morgan quite in, in quite convincing fashion at Slammiversary. <laughs> but on the following impact, the main event mafia would attack Sting, remove him from the group, and Kurt Angle reclaimed his role as the Godfather. Here would see Sting take revenge upon the mafia, where he would attack every member of the group and would steal Angle's championship uh, belt, and thus became a face once more. This would see him have quite the rivalry with the main event mafia, leading up to Bound for Glory. So, with with a token of gratitude from AJ Styles, who was champion at this point and had some really good matches with Kurt Angle, Sting Styles offered him a title shot at Bound for Glory. Pot, and it was kind of lightly being billed as Sting's retirement match. Styles Mm -hmm. defeated Sting to retain the title, ending a little undefeated streak that Sting had made at Bound for Glory. And after the match, he announced he didn't know whether he would continue his career or not, saying, the way you fans are reacting now makes me want to stay forever. At the end of the year, the match was voted the match of the year by fans of TNA, that match, uh, Styles versus Sting, which is their best match without question. A really good, solid match from them. And so... Um. Oh gosh, do I really want to bring up Immortal? Actually, I kind of have to because Immortal leads us in to uh, to the thing we've kind of all been dreading. So, <laughs> do you chaps remember about Team Flair and Team Hogan, which would become Fortune and then Immortal? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yes. Of course, this gave us such great uh, moments, such as Jay Lethal sending uh, Ric Flair completely nuts by being Ric Flair. <laughs> In my mind, I think he was almost potentially even better at being Ric Flair than Ric Flair actually was, but that's a, that's a separate I mean, debate. I mean, the idea of of him of him suddenly taking on the mantle of Flair is something is a alternate universe I would very much like to visit. <laughs> Oh man, so we all know the story. We all know the silliness that comes from this. We saw, you know, Sting getting suspended after he assaulted Jeff Jarrett for coming back. We also saw Rob Van Dam debut. I mean, we also, from all this, got some really, two really decent matches with Desmond Wolf and uh, yeah. Kurt Angle because, come on, it's Nigel McGuinness. He's going to have great matches with people. <laughs> Sting actually would cut at this time, would also revert back to his NWO Wolfpack face paint for a little bit and team yes, with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And actually would come out to the Wolfpack theme, instrumental version, because <laughs> Hogan, Bischoff, and Jimmy Hart were, of course, part of TNA at this yeah, time. Yeah, I know. 
Oh, good God Almighty! Of course, this uh, this little group and uh, alliance with Nash wouldn't last very long because Nash would quickly leave the promotion. And, uh, well, Sting really didn't have much, no direction after that. So he decided to uh, take a hiatus from TNA. Not only because of that, but because his contract expired at the end of 2010. This leads to the rumours, of course, of that time in WrestleMania in 2011, where Undertaker came back and everyone genuinely believed that Sting was debuting. So much so that Sting was actually offered a contract by WWE to come in and be the opponent for Undertaker at that year's WrestleMania. So you said 2011? 2011, yes. This would be the match he would have against Triple H. Ah! At the Georgia oh. Dome. Okay. And I... I don't remember that one being awful. That was one of the better ones, wasn't it? I mean, the it's Undertaker not was the good cool. ones. Not one of the good ones because it had Michael okay. Cole versus Jerry Lawler. Ah, uh, I mean, well, uh, yeah, yes. And the Miz versus John Cena in the main event. Oh fucking! <laughs> ah, this... yeah. Okay, now I remember this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. He would actually renegotiate a contract in 2011 and come back to TNA in March as a surprise challenger to Jeff Hardy and win the TNA World Championship for a third time. Uh, he would have uh, a nice little rivalry here at the beginning of 2011 with Jeff Hardy. Another match at Victory Road where he defended the title in a no-DQ match. Which, oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Which only lasted 90 seconds because we all know what that match was about. 2011 Victory Road incident. The incident. Uh, the incident, of course. We all know why it was cut short. Um, and I think the famous moment from Sting here was, or infamous moment, was that he could hear the crowd chanting bullshit, to which Sting would say, I agree! I agree! Just, hi, Faye. Yeah, that is a, just straight up, oi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would actually wouldn't be long after this, though. He would have some matches, uh, uh, a, uh, a cage match, a, a triple threat cage match against Mr. Anderson and Rob Van Dam. He would have a match against Rob Van Dam at Sacrifice, and then another match against Mr. Anderson at Slammiversary, where he would lose the title following outside interference from Eric Bischoff. This is what made Sting finally snap, and he would display more of a maniacal character to him he would become more erratic and have a and rather than kind of stylistically paint his face it was all over the shop he became the insane icon as we all know him and lovingly call him joker sting <laughs> okay okay here we I'm go i'm just gonna let rin take the floor here yeah let me take the let me take the floor i really honestly feel for Sting here. <laughs> I legitimately do. Because in when you look at Sting's history as a performer, this isn't out of the ordinary. This could have and possibly should have worked. <laughs> moving along with the Zeit moving along with the Zeit guys, updating like figuring sitting down and thinking okay how many people actually know of the crow or actively prominently think of the crow mm. 
and thinking, not many. It's a cult classic. Maybe now's the time that to update it. And hey, it's Heath Ledger Joker. Everyone loves Heath Ledger Joker, especially at that time. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> where that where that shit was white hot. Mm-hmm. So wanting to go on onto that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. The problem is twofold. One, we are used to a certain mannerisms with Sting that I don't think he just had the chops to pull off, at least not at that time. Mm. And the second, and this is the most important one, at this point, he was like, what? 40 years old? Oh, he was in his mid-50s at this point. Oh, well, early 50s. Early 50s. As you cannot do this in your early 50s unless your name is Scott Steiner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And so it just, it didn't work. And I feel so bad for saying it. Because it could have worked, but on the other hand, it wasn't good. I mean, at least he had a proper crow this time that he would actually let loose and attack Eric Bischoff with. What am I saying? <laughs> this doesn't at make least. sense. <laughs> I think the main, the biggest thing for me in regards to Joker Sting is it's both the greatest testament to the thing of. You don't always strike lightning twice. Yeah, you don't. Lightning doesn't always strike twice. <laughs> but also that, <sighs> in a weird way, it's one of those things that see at this point I look at and it was probably really dumb. And I do feel sorry for him, but I kind of feel like you probably enjoyed it a little bit because he was completely freed of all responsibilities. <laughs> I would imagine so. I would imagine so. Yes, lightning does not strike twice in the same place, and in this case, it did not work. Uh, so I'm not going to gloss over this time a little bit too much, because I think we all know how uh, how how well this this turned out for Sting. Uh, he would, of course, this, this, this is coinciding his rivalry with Immortal, and eventually led to Hulk Hogan out of power, and Dixie Carter once back becoming uh, the president of TNA. We all know this. So let's go into yeah. the little bit, the kind of tiny more feuds that he would have before eventually departing and ending his time in TNA. He would, of course, have a, have a rivalry with TNA world champion Bobby Roode at this time in 2012. <clears throat> uh, and, uh, and be announced as the first inductee of the TNA Hall of Fame. Then in 2013, he would end up uh, feuding, as everyone did at that time, with the Aces and Eights. Aces and yeah, but Aces and Eights took over the entire. To be fair, Aces and Eights, you could argue, was TNA's NWO. Yes. Well, mind you, this was made by Bischoff and Hogan, so Bischoff was trying to strike lightning twice with the NWO. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the closest I think he's ever got to strike uh, lightning striking twice with the NWO. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this would actually lead Sting, with alongside Kurt Angle, to reform the main event Mafia. 
Of course, this, yeah. would be, this would be a new main event mafia, which would see Sting and Kurt Angle as the only original members of the group. Uh, the main event, this main event mafia would see Sting, Angle, Samoa Joe, Magnus, also known as Nick Aldis, and Rampage Jackson. <laughs> Once again, what one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> this was, of course, to counteract the Aces and Eights' newest member, Tito Ortiz. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> but Best oh, just, oh gosh, I I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> so the main event mafia would eventually disband after the nightmare of aces and eights was finally over, and Sting's final feud would actually be against Ethan Carter the Third. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sting eventually would lose a match, uh, a title versus career match on Impact uh, against uh, Nick Aldis. Uh, sorry, Magnus, I should say, because he was champion at the time. Uh, after interference by Ethan Carter the Third, and Sting lost, and his TNA contract was terminated, thus bookending Sting's time in TNA. As I said, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. But ultimately, nine years worth of very consistent work from Sting, who ultimately was was a big pillar in what made TNA successful, especially in that boom period of 2008. Oh, absolutely. I'd say if it weren't for him, I don't think they would have ever had a, a video game deal, uh, like a, a, no. a toy deal or anything like that of the sort. Um, no, 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 absolutely. Um Sting was an integral part to TNA having the success it did. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, this sees Sting in 2014 not doing much. Where can Sting go at this time? No one really knows. But Sting, funnily enough, appears for the very first time in non-archival footage on the WWE Network in a recent doc- made documentary about the Ultimate Warrior. Mm. Soon enough, soon, I think a couple, not even a month after that, um, actually no, it was a day after that actually, WWE Home Video announced a Best of Sting DVD to be released on September 2014. And a couple of months after that, in July 14th, on, on the episode of Raw, a vignette started playing and a very familiar WCW tune started playing actually to a cor- an orchestral chorus uh, and then suddenly out from the shadows appeared Sting holy crap we're getting Sting in WWE oh wait a minute it's a pre-order bonus for WWE 2K15 <laughs> yep <laughs> And then, late in late July of the same year, he would make his first public appearance for WWE at San Diego Comic Con in full sting garb. Oh my goodness, is he going to announce that he's going to go up against The Undertaker? Oh no, he's just announcing that he's got his own line of Mattel action figures. <laughs> God damn it. Thank you, Steve. Oh, uh, again, 
he would eventually make another appearance for WWE 2K15 in a roster reveal panel, which took place in LA, but it wasn't until Survivor Series 2014, Team Authority versus Team Cena. If Cena's team loses, all members of that team, except Cena, would be fired from their jobs. Of course, Team Cena's uh, members were Big Show, Dolph Ziggler, Ryback, and Eric Rowan. Dolph Ziggler, yes, you heard me right. Dolph Ziggler, yes. the sole survivor of that team, looking like, with Triple H interfering, and looking like they were going to win the match, with crooked referee Scott Armstrong coming in to make the free, mm-hmm. lights fade, crow noises happen, and oh my goodness, Sting has made his appearance, his first ever appearance in WWE. Wow. <laughs> This is crazy. I remember being like, "What? Holy shit! Stings in WWE." It's oh yeah. yeah. It was just like, that thing of like, okay, we finally got here. I didn't think we ever would. <laughs> I remember specifically, and I'll bring into this uh, in particular. I remember thinking, "Oh hell yeah, we're getting Sting versus Taken now, baby." Yep, I think everyone did. Even Sting, even in an interview, funnily enough, with IGN of all places, uh, when he was told, who do you want to face at WrestleMania in your, fir- in your first WrestleMania? He said, oh, come on. And he mouthed the words, Taker. <laughs> so yeah. even Sting wanted Undertaker. Look, like, right, he knew what people <laughs> wanted. Yeah, it had to be done, right? Yes. Right? So with Team Authority losing and the Authority out of power... For all of six fucking weeks. <laughs> Sting is back and he says that he's going to bring Triple H down a peg. He's not fighting for WCW because that would be ridiculous at this point. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Triple H challenged Sting to a face-to-face confrontation at Fastlane. So Triple H, Triple H and Sting at Fastlane in the ring together. Triple H is saying, I can tell you, we'll give you everything you want. We'll immortalize you on the network. We'll give you your own special DVDs, merchandise. Hell, we'll even put you in the Hall of Fame. Sting with his baseball bat going, no thanks, points to the WrestleMania sign and wants to face Triple H at WrestleMania. Now, chaps, how salty were you as I was at this because we all wanted him to face The Undertaker, especially after the year before where Undertaker faced Brock Lesnar and the streak was lost? So, we obviously all wanted him to face Undertaker. The bigger thing, as we'll get to later, when I saw he was facing Triple H, I went, oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. It was just a straight up, oh no, 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 okay, I see what's happening here. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Didn't we all? So Sting, uh, on a March episode of Raw, would make his debut helping out Randy Orton fight and fighting off the, the authority. Uh, <laughs> and thus leads us to WrestleMania 31. Sting coming out in broad daylight, which was a weird sight to see. In a way to kind of outshield Sting in his time in WWE, Triple H came out in in his entrance with Terminators. And Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger saying, it's time to play the game. It's it was fucking grim. It was horrible. Oh, that was weird as fuck. And this uh, is one of the most salty 
saltiest I have ever felt in a wrestling match. Now, granted, this match was okay, and I'll admit, I kind of popped for DX and NWO coming out. Oh, you did. But still... Sam, you're better and or worse than me, depending. (laughs) But that being said... I think we're all in agreement, and I think most wrestling fans are all in agreement when we say Sting should have won this match. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, it's... should I just should I, should I just get into it? You Please get into do. it. I I have I have litigated this match many a time, so I'll let Dan okay, get, all right, take the stage on it. I'll tell you why I think that Sting should have won this match, and it's because of this fundamental point. Basically, everything I got from this match was it was literally just Triple H and whoever in the back just thinking, what's one last way that we can shit on WCW? Mm-hmm. And that's its entire purpose. It's literally just there to be like, hey, look, we brought back the NWO. We brought back Nash Hall and Hogan. And now here's DX. Remember DX from the Monday Night Wars? Do you remember that from the 90s? And it had to be against the guy who and is completely enamored with the NWA. And, and, then it's literally, and it's literally the guy. And they're, there and they're like, look, your icon from WCW. Here's, your, here's the person all you WCW fans and all the people that like WCW over WWF. Now watch him lose. Oh, oh, and another thing, how fucking dare they not call him the icon and instead call him the vigilante? Yeah, because they're not going to call him the icon because they want to rob him of the identity that he has because it's WWE. <laughs> oh, man, I have I have a lot of feelings about this match. I really like, do. Like that, that's, that's the essence of what it is, really. Yeah, it's an, it's an okay match. But it, it it robbed us of both the thing we and apparently also Sting wanted to have. Hell, apparently even Taker was all right for the idea. But Vince and apparently and uh, Vince was quoted as saying, "No one wants to see two old men wrestle each other." Oh my okay, god! Bold of a man who still books Goldberg. Just... Let's let's remember. Let's think of this, right? He took Shawn Michaels out of retirement just for that awful match at Crown Jewel. Yeah. Okay, that's bold of him to say. The guy that like never that hasn't basically brought up a new young talent himself since about fucking Brock Lesnar in like two thousand two. Right. But yeah, it it, it basically basically the the match functions as like it's literally just that one last <laughs> fucking middle fingers up. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's, it's oh, yeah. the nail in the in the last vestiges of WCW. Because it shows, because it shows, I don't know how much Triple H had to do with it, but it certainly shows that the people in the back just still haven't fucking got over themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, here's a question I want to go, before I go on to his, his the final bits of his WWE uh, run, would you have liked to have seen um, Sting versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 31? Given what yeah. we know, like Sting, of course, coming in with that being his dream match undertaker of course having nothing to lose now that the streak is over and done with yeah i it should have happened it should have like i think it was the only time that really could have happened it's one of those things of 
sometimes just giving people what they want is for the best. Yeah. And that was... I'm not saying we were going to go into it expecting a five-star match. We just had built for ages that we wanted Sting versus Undertaker. And even if they did it like fucking... You know, like the John Cena one where it was like seven minutes. Mm. I wouldn't have minded that. (laughs) I don't think we would have had that much of an issue with it. Not at all. You know... And then we could have just had that, and it could have just been like the send. That could have just been like a nice, easy send off. Exactly. You know, it could have just been a way to cap last little bits off, and it wouldn't have been a massive fucking fuck you to WCW because they still haven't got over themselves since two thousand one. Yeah. Like I, I know obviously there's all the stuff about the wars and all of that, but like. You own the rights to WCW. Mm. Mm. You would think like giving it some respect would be in your interests. <laughs> you think, but God, oh, just I'm never gonna pretend like I understand what goes through their brains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, summer after SummerSlam. 2016, which saw Seth Rollins become a dual champion, becoming WWE and United States champion. On the episode, on the August 24th episode of Raw, Seth Rollins was going to be uh, was unveiling alongside Steph and uh, Triple H a bronze statue to commemorate this historic moment in Seth Rollins' career. The drum roll happens. The statue is about to be revealed. The curtain is whipped from the statue. And oh my god, it's Sting. Wait a minute. Sting's the bronze statue? <laughs> what I love about this is that you could tell that Sting was sweating buckets there because the paint yes. was, was peeling off his, his temples. <laughs> and so Sting has made his intentions clear. He has returned and he is gunning for the WWE Championship. His first and only match on Raw saw him go up against Big Show which he would win by DQ as a consequence <laughs> of Seth attacking Sting. The match was then restarted as a tag team match with John Cena and Sting defeating Big Show and Seth Rollins. I think, I believe it was either Seth or it was Show that Sting put the Scorpion Death Lock on. I think it might have been Rollins, but uh, yeah. thus that was Sting's one and only match, or sorry, second match, I should say if you want to be that pedantic, in WWE on Monday Night mm-hmm. Raw, I should say. Of course, then that brings us to Night of Champions. Uh, uh, Rollins has lost the US Championship to Cena, and immediately after that match, he has to face Sting in a WWE title match. Now, mm-hmm. leading up to it, it's not a bad match. Seth, uh, Sting was keeping up with Seth tit for tat with each move. But unfortunately, one seemingly innocuous buckle bomb led to quite a scary moment which saw Sting suffer quite a horrid uh, neck injury and saw him collapse onto the ground for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember there was one moment where Seth tried to Irish whip Sting onto the ropes but Sting just crumbled and fell to the ground. How he managed to do it though recovered and continued for five more minutes to get the match over with Seth retaining. I have no idea. (laughs) He's he's built something different, Sting. 
Um, and thus, uh, that was Sting's one and only shot at the WWE Championship. <laughs> and thus, we never saw Sting much of that after then. Uh, in 2016, in January, Sting was announced as the very first member of the Hall of Fame class of 2016. He ultimately reneged having surgery, um, stating that he felt completely normal and uh, he was diagnosed with cervical spinal stenosis, the, the injuries that um, retired uh, Edge and uh, Austin, I believe. But he said he felt completely fine and that the, the doctors even told him that he might not even need surgery. So on April, the day before WrestleMania, at the Hall of Fame induction uh, ceremony, Sting announced his retirement from pro wrestling and of course said, this isn't goodbye, this is just see you around. And thus, Sting served for the rest of his time in WWE as sort of a company ambassador. Mm -hmm. Being on network shows here, there, and everywhere. It's fun, funny enough, during a, a network show known as Legends with JBL, he stated that he didn't go under surgery, but he had still held hope that he could have a match with Undertaker, saying that it was unfinished business for him. Mm -hmm. He even pitched an him. idea in 2020 to have a cinematic match with Undertaker, similar to how the Boneyard match was like. Yeah, and again, I think that's just an, an easy idea. Yeah, that would have been fucking perfect. Vince kiboshed the idea, still saying both of them were too damn old to wrestle one another. And of course with Undertaker officially retiring at Survivor Series in 2020, was never happen never happened. Sting, of course, would I think one of his very final appearances on TV would be on the February 2019 episode of Raw during the Ric Flair 70 ber 70th birthday celebration. Of course, we all know how that ended, but Batista going, do I have, att do I have your attention now, Hunter? Ha! Yes. Um... And in May 2020, it was reported that he was no longer under contract with WWE. And soon after that, uh, the WWE stopped selling Sting merch and pulled his mm -hmm. and pulled all of his merch and even he, I believe, his alumni page off of the websites. Which leads us to right now, December the second, 2020. AEW Dynamite Winter is coming. Oh, during a tag match which saw Cody and Darby Allen going up against Team Taz members Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks during a beatdown from Team Taz of Dustin, Cody, Arn and, and Darby, the lights, the lights dim out. Snow falls. I'm on Daly's place, which is amazing considering Florida barely has any snow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ominous music plays and suddenly the words sting appear on the Titan Tron, and Tony Schiavone, in his iconic voice, saying, It's Sting! Sting makes his first appearance on TNT in 20 years. He is All Elite, and soon after that, makes his intentions clear that Darby Allen is who he wants to be with, and soon enough comes out of retirement to team up against Allen to take on Brian Cage and Ricky Starks in a cinematic street fight. And lo and behold, here is where we are right now. Sting, at 62 years old, still going and like he's not lost a goddamn step. 
It's genuinely crazy. I, I I can only assume that he was getting the stem cells from Rey Mysterio. Oh, and Christian. And Christian. <laughs> So with Sting right now where he is, I think it's almost the the perfect position for him. Not being the center of attention, but being the guy that we all know well and love. Yeah. And being the guy to kind of be the helping hand, the guiding he light for the future generation. He just needs to be there. Yes. And then AEW shows well enough that they can handle like having legends <laughs> as managers and helping put people over. Jake the Snake, Arn Anderson. You know, it, there's precedent there. I feel like Tony Khan's got it right with how, you know, established stars and legends of the industry should be booked in, in yeah. pro wrestling. These guys are old. Their bodies are beat up. You can't expect them to go into the ring and perform the same way that they did in their prime. But they've still got the mind for it, the acumen and the mm-hmm. charisma and the promo work. And what better way to do it than giving these guys the future stars all of that knowledge. So, that is where we leave Sting at the moment. He's still going strong in AEW, taking care of his emo goth son. Yep. It's emo. It's emo. It's emo son. He's emo son. It's it's emo. It's emo. (laughs) And I still like that he, uh, that he sometimes, uh, during matches and tag matches, will paint his half, half of his face crow stig and then paint half of his face like dark beasts. Got some holes. <laughs> hey, I've got to, I've got to get in with what my son is is into nowadays. <laughs> He's the cool dad. He is the cool dad. I never thought in a million years, or this year especially, that we would ever see Sting in the same ring as Daniel Garcia. But yet, this is 2021, no. and we've managed to see that. <laughs> so, chaps, to bookend this, our two-part retrospective on Sting. How iconic do you think Sting is in the world of professional wrestling? Yeah, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like he is an icon and and a fascinatingly unlikely icon at that. Mm. Yeah, I think he's someone that obviously you can't deny the impact that he's had at this point. Though I don't know it would have ever I don't know, it almost feels like he shouldn't it shouldn't have been that way in a weird way. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, but I mean, you know, he, he exists as this kind of evergreen perennial figure in wrestling. He's always someone I say to people, please watch his tape if you are thinking of being a wrestler. Yes. Um, like, absolutely, just get onto watching Sting's matches because there's so much great stuff you can take from there. Mm. I know what you mean by unlikely, considering the guy was not right in the throes of the golden age. And as a matter of fact, he kind of picked up wrestling upon seeing the golden age of WWF. The the the, the how fast he was able to to go move up on the ranks of pro wrestling is quite frankly impressive. Mm. It's very impressive, and the man has survived, has weathered so many storms. Mm. I mean, at this point, the the man has exceeded the crow, which was the inspiration for arguably his most iconic look. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Which is wow. Oh, at least he wasn't called. At least he wasn't called or cast in the crow too. That would have been I mean, weird as hell. I mean, at this point, I mean, at, 
I mean, at this point, he's got to have a cameo if they ever remake it, right? <laughs> like, he has he's got to have something. No, he's on cameo. Oh, have a cameo. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh-huh. um, oh, I see what you did there, Dad. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> so that ends our two-part retrospective on Sting, the icon called Sting. May I add? <clears throat> so that was a heck of a fun one. Uh and I really did enjoy researching that one and made kind of kind of doubled down on my um, feelings that Sting's probably one of my favourites. One of my absolute yeah. all-time yeah. favourites. No, that's perfectly, <laughs> that's perfectly reasonable. Oh, still, it still blows my mind at 62. He's still going. Uh, <laughs> anyway, our next episode. Oh, boy, chaps. We have another pay-per-view review on our hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, goody. Oh, no. We're talking... Not Survivor Series, as you'd think we would do around this time of year. But no, we're going to go for the bastard child of Survivor Series, which Vince was adamant of getting rid of and replacing with this. Yes, it's WWE Bragging Rights 2010. Oh no, oh no. Remember, if it ain't broke, try to fix it. Or try to at least book your book your event on social media. But I digress. Uh, <laughs> until next week, then I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon, and you have been listening to the Sweet Tune Web Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye.